Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown show. A show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. After the many months of shutdowns, quarantines, virtual activities, and otherwise social distancing, it's nice to be able to catch up with old friends. Mary Ann Adams' journey began in Mississippi, passed through Michigan, but she found her home in Atlanta, Georgia. She's a Federal Housing Commissioner Chair at the East Point Housing Authority and President CEO at the Adams Research Group. But most importantly, she is the founder and executive director of Zami Nobla, the National Organization of Black Lesbians on Aging. The organization builds a national base of power centering black lesbians over 40 through service, advocacy, and community action research while promoting positive aging through a social justice framework. Although the organization has stopped many of its in-person programs during the pandemic, it continues to affirm, empower, and support members by creating new paradigms for conscious and powerful aging with virtual programs including Slow Your Roll Yoga, the Zami Nobla Book Club, a ukulele program, and Purple Thumb Gardening Group. They've hosted virtual events, including an art exhibit and comedy shows. Their work continues on the rehab of the Biggers House, a house that will provide affordable housing for a lesbian or lesbian couple and provides a community garden in the backyard. The pandemic didn't stop the work. It just took it to a whole different level. Marianne, welcome back to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you? Well, as I was saying, Marianne, it's so good to talk to you. How has the weather been in Atlanta? We're all going through weather changes. How has the weather been? Uh, You mean the immediate weather or the weather over the past week or month or just generally? Just generally, you know, I know that here we've had a lot of heat and a lot of rain. You know, we, we've certainly had a lot of heat and a lot of rain lately. Uh, typically in Georgia during the summer, it's very humid. Uh, it's very hot. Uh, it's difficult if you suffer from allergies to live in this city uh, because mm. they exacerbate if you um, move here. They just seem to get worse and worse. 
Um, and that certainly has <laughs> been the case with a lot of people, allergy sufferers, during the past couple of months. Um, and, you know, we've had a lot of rain. We've had more than our first share of rain, uh, more than usual. And I think a lot of that is due to climate change, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, today it's been raining all day, uh, but it's cooled down. And so for me, it's a sweet blessing uh, because I'm a gardener and I have a lot of perennials that are planted. They love full sun. They love the heat. They need it to thrive. But on the other hand, I do like to have some kind of relief from the heat. Um, And typically rain does that. And so Mm -hmm. I really can't complain. Well, I have to tell you, you know, I look at the pictures of you in your garden, and I've got one of those ones, you know, I have a balcony, I always start out well, and it doesn't end well. <laughs> and, and I think about the, the ones that work out better are the house plants that I sort of, I've almost killed inside. I put them out on the, the balcony, and I call that their ICU unit, and either they make it through the winter I mean, through the summer and come back in to try another winter or, you know, that's just it. But, I mean, one of the things that's nice about, you know, that people would think, like Atlanta, you know, if you're a gardener, that should be heaven. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I I do think that typically, you know, gardening is certainly, I think every day it's an opportunity to learn. I don't think there are any disasters in gardening. I don't think there are any mistakes. Um, you know, you you throw some seeds down or you plant plants and uh, you wait for the for the the, the, the splendor and the beauty and the majestic uh, plants that you're going to 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 see. I mean, just the the the, the mystery of of gardening is what keeps me coming back year after year after year. And you know, just the sheer wonder, Michelle, to look at flowers that are one flower has three different colors, and the fact that you can throw a seed in the ground, and you know, eight weeks to twelve weeks later, you have something that you can eat that is nourishing that you planted. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. And I do want to say now that uh, a few minutes ago, I was looking at the weather and looking at the reports. Uh, from the storms and the hurricane in Louisiana. And I I really want to send out just a a, a sweet blessing and a prayer um, because my heart goes out to all the damage and the the people who've lost their homes and who who is certainly going to be displaced for a long time. And, you know, while we often complain about not having any ocean or any beaches or any sea of water uh, in and around Atlanta, we're spared from those kinds of hurricanes and those kinds of disasters and, and, and because we because we don't have that water. And so I've been in Atlanta since 88 and have never had to uh, witness even uh, or be any place close to those kinds of natural disasters. So my heart goes out to, to those people in Louisiana and, yeah, you know, surrounding areas, my uh-huh. state of Mississippi as well. I know. I know I was looking at that. You know, you, last time I saw you in person, it was in 2019. You were busy. 
I mean, you were so busy with, with Sammy Noble. Like you had your office space. You were putting together, you put together a conference. You had all these programs. And then as we all, you know, we all punctuate everything. And then COVID hit. Yes. How your life changed? Are you less busy or do you find that there's more work to do? Because of COVID? As you know, Michelle, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's that's it. <laughs> As you know, uh, Zemi Nobla is committed to building a base of power for black lesbians 40 and older living anywhere in the country, and we center service advocacy and community-engaged research. Toward that end, we found ourselves having to pivot during um, 2020 particularly because it was so unexpected. Um, you mentioned the, the office that we had at the Arts Exchange, and we were actually faced with the decision of whether or not we should sign the lease for another 12 months. And this was March when our lease was up, and, you know, we were still sort of unsure about COVID around February, March, not knowing what the uh, coming months and years would bring regarding um uh, this pandemic, and so we made an educated guess, uh, and we did not sign the lease. Uh, and we're really happy that we didn't, because we would have signed the lease for 12 months, and really been saddled with the rent that would not have that we probably wouldn't have been able to pay. Um, so we decided not to 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 sign that lease, and to essentially work from home. I think it was one of the best decisions that we've made. Um, certainly. Uh, our membership said to us, you know, Zeminova can tend to be a little bit serious, uh, a, a little bit intellectual with the research and, and some of the programming. We need to have fun. We want to laugh. We want to be in community, albeit on Zoom. Um, and so we said, okay, we can certainly attempt to meet this challenge. And uh, in August of 2020, we developed a program every weekend. You know, we went from a DJ battle, which was so much fun. I participated in that, and I was able to play my old school and jazz standards, and just, uh-huh. it was amazing. Um, there were four of us from around the country. I was here in Atlanta. Uh, Kim was in Maryland. Uh, Lisa it was in um, uh, Chicago. Um and Tammy was here. And so we had a really amazing time doing that. Uh, and the host was calling in from Alabama. Uh, and then we also had a comedy show with Karen Williams uh, uh-huh. that was amazing. We had a couple of those. We had a, a blues uh, show with Gay Abdelbalelo. And Gay is 74, I believe, and has been singing blues and, and jazz for Ever and it's just an amazing uh, uh, artist who has a number of CDs. Um, and we also had an RT um, show. I mean, a, 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 well, actually, an online gallery show, an online exhibit um, on Zoom. And and so um, you know, women really appreciated those offerings. They were open uh, to any woman over the age of 18, um, identifying as LGBTQ and allies. 
Um, and we also were able to um, develop an online yoga class that we do every Thursday night from 7 to 8.15. Um, we have a certified instructor who is a member of Zambi Nobler, Dr. Miriam Seals, and we actually designed this class for over 40 bodies. Uh, wow. We really wanted women to understand that yoga is for everyone. I think there's been some misinformation, unfortunately, uh, in the black community that, you know, yoga is for white women. That's not for us. That's not our thing. And we're trying to dispel that misconception. Uh, what's unique about this program? There are two things, actually, that I think are fairly unique. One is that we are using our webinar platform, Michelle, intentionally. There was a lot of intentionality around developing this yoga class, uh, and that's why we call it Slow Your Roll Yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're using the webinar because the women cannot see each other. The participants, they can only see the instructor. Uh, we wanted to make sure that women did not unconsciously find themselves competing with their neighbor. You know, they're doing yoga better than I am. No. Uh, and, you know, we're even saying, you know, don't even compete with yourself. You know, you may do a move on Tuesday that you could not do on Monday. Um, and so I think it initially took some getting used to that you could only see the instructor, but now people feel very comfortable with that. The other thing that I think is, is fairly unique is that this is a class funded by AARP Georgia, uh, organized by Zami Nobla with Center of the Heart, which is Miriam Fields, the instructor's uh, company. And it's open to any woman over the age of 40 living anywhere in the country. And, and, and consequently, we have mothers and daughters. Uh, we have cousins. We have aunties. They're all taking the class together. And my cousin, who is 75 years old, straight woman, black woman in Mississippi, said to me, I was talking to her about the yoga class, and she said, I, I, I can't do anything like that. I don't, I don't even know what yoga is. I've not been on the Internet. I can't get on Zoom. I'm like, yes, you can. Let me walk you through how to get on Zoom. I walked her through it a couple of times, Michelle, and now she would not miss her Thursday night classes for anything. So, yes, it's just amazing. You know, I went to a yoga class, and the instructor, first of all, she was in her 80s, and you would not believe it. I mean, she was just But one of the things that she had said was, in doing yoga, she said she knew how to fall, but she knew how to how to fall. So she wasn't mm-hmm. hurting herself and breaking breaking something. And she said the very same thing that you did, that many African-American women, oh, that's not for us and everything. And so she was teaching it and once in a recreation center, but also in a church to sort of say, you know, this is, and she did chair yoga too. So it's like, Something she would do, and she said, everybody can find a way that they can do it, but it, it's about your health and doing it. Yes. And I love that you guys picked up yoga because when you had the conference, yes, you did do a thing on health, which many might have thought was more, you know, like very serious, but that's a continuation. You know, health is more than just doctors and, and surveys yes. and checks, you know. Wow. Yes. Yes, absolutely. You're absolutely correct. Um, you know, Miriam shows every single Thursday night um, how to practice 
exercise yoga poses in a chair and on a mat. Um, for women who perhaps are having some physical mobility issues, this class is for them. For women who might have arthritis, slow your roll yoga was designed for you. For women who might have back issues, slow your roll yoga was designed for you. Uh, for women who think that their bodies might carry too much weight to do yoga, slow your roll yoga was designed for you. It really literally was designed for every type of body. And we really, really seriously want those women to come and check it out. Last Thursday night, Michelle, we had 75 women in the class. Wow. Since January, we've had 604 women to sign up for this class. And on average, on any particular Thursday night, we might have 50 to 75 women. Now, mind you, this is a free class, and we want to keep it at no cost. Uh, We have a commitment from ARP for funding through December, and we're looking for additional funding. Hopefully, they will pick it up, but if not, we really want to continue to do this. This is our second year. Uh, We've got an amazing response, and so we have women who sign up from Zami Nobla, from AARP, from uh, Sin of the Heart, and just generally because, um, you know, again, it's a national class. Anywhere you are, if you can access a computer and Zoom, then this class is for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that one of the the key principles of Zami Nobla is about building a base of power for black lesbians. And, I mean, and... I have more friends, you know, I, you know, and even as I watch people who I know are 40, 50, 60, I went to a celebration of a woman who was 90, and we're living longer, we're living differently. Like, when I was at this one celebration, the one, some of the people who are 80 and 90 talked about how different it was being out, where they had lived a great deal of their life closeted and now you know they look at these young people who are out and they're interacting with them but how what is how do we find that common ground that transcends from 40 on wherever and see that power that we can have not only in taking care of our bodies and being flexible and doing coming community through something like yoga but through other ways, like as as far as caring for each other, finding partners, you know, you know, just living our best lives. Um, that's a great question, and it's a great question because it allows me an opportunity to speak not just to my belief and my opinion about that, but to the women who our black lesbians who participate in the primary research that Zaminova conducts. For example, in 2011, we conducted the first ever Black Lesbians in Aging Understanding Healthcare Needs research study, um, and this was qualitative research, so we convened 14 focus groups of black lesbians 40 and older. Uh, I believe it was from 40 to 92. And essentially what those women said was, we want to be an intergenerational community. And what that looks like is it could look like lesbians from 40 to 
120 living in a communal space from in a tiered community space so that there could be independent apartments on site. And when you get to the point where you cannot live independently, then you can transition into uh, assisted living apartment, or uh, you could then transition from that into something where you need more direct care. And they talked about having women from all ages and all professions there. And they also talked about wanting to engage with young people to have a community space where they could have mothers with their children after school or on weekends or evenings where they could teach them certain skills, where they could teach them to quilt, or they could teach them to, or they could help them with their homework, or they could read, or they could write poetry with them, that they really wanted to be a part of a living, thriving community that looks like all of us. And that's how we're going to continue, I think, to be able to thrive and to learn from each other. Because none of us know everything. None of us know most things. You know, everything we do, we, we do nothing without community. As Audre Lord said, without community, there is no liberation. And, and I certainly believe that. You know, people say to us, you know, we go and present research finding at, at scientific conferences, and they say, well, how can you all talk about aging when you are uh, recruiting uh, and marketing and you have a membership of lesbians starting at 40? 40 is not old. And what we say is is that African-American lesbians, from a health perspective, are more vulnerable than white lesbians of the same age, that we have more health inequities and we face a lot of increased vulnerabilities to direct consequences uh, of disease and death at an earlier age than white women do and other lesbians of color. And so that's why we started at the age of 40. Um, and so we believe in engaging each other intergenerationally from 40 to 100 plus that we can learn from each other, and we're hoping that younger sisters will not have to go through some of the same struggles that we have had to go through in terms of trying to make sure that we experience equity, not just in health care, but also in housing, you know, also in finance, also in economics, also in mental health, I mean, across the spectrum. We don't want them to have to fight the same battles that we're fighting. We want them to be able to get some skill sets, uh, to be able to get some resources, uh, and so that they may, they will probably have to fight, but not the same fight. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things during this pandemic, and I, that I have in, I have found like a lot of inspiration is I've been like. We have a transforming power fund here, which is like trying to fund different initiatives. And that's one of the things that, that you see is that sense of community, that intergenerational where you have, you know, many when people you have food deserts or you have people who are growing gardens from who never knew that you could grow your own food in response to the fact that there's no grocery store in there and they're growing food but then you have someone from one generation who knew how to preserve food how to cook food differently 
where you'll have someone who's younger, who's all about the organic and, you know, don't just put any kind of fertilizer on it. And it's just like a nice blend and almost like a reset of community. Do you see mm-hmm. that happening in this group of, of women that, that you've been that you've interviewed and talked about? Like a reset, like, you know, we just don't want to keep doing this that same way. Well, you know, um, one of the sweet blessings of COVID is that COVID has brought us in contact and in communication uh, with lesbians across the country that we probably never would have met, uh, being deeply rooted in Atlanta. Certainly we travel, but this has given us a particular kind of lens, I think, in terms of finding each other and in terms of connecting across interests. Um, you know, we have the Purple Thumb Gardening Group on Facebook for women who like to play in the dirt. And we have, we're learning a lot about gardening together. And some of those things that we're learning are about uh, how to organically grow gardens. You know, what will kill us if we put it in our food. So I wouldn't say necessarily that that is, uh, that that knowledge and that learning, it, it seems like in Georgia, the older sisters, because we also have a nutrition professor who's also a gardener who's been helping us oversee the gardening that we've been doing um, and who has tons of information. So it seems like in our particular cohort uh, here that the older sisters are teaching the younger sisters about gardening. Certainly the younger sisters have information that they bring and you know we 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 don't this we respect everybody's peace because that's what's so beautiful about it. Like I said, nobody knows everything, so everybody brings a, a piece to the to the mix. Um, I, as you know, we have a a podcast, and I was talking to a younger sister, uh, a, a black queer woman in Atlanta, not part of Demi No Noble, a little bit younger than that. Uh, by accident on Facebook, and she mentioned the Zami Noble podcast, and she said, I started my own podcast because of the Zami Noble podcast. And I said, really? I said, you should tell Angela that. I had no idea that she had done that. And she said, no, I would not miss an episode. And so I say that to say that, you know, people are always looking at you. You never know who is looking at you for whatever information or whatever knowledge or whatever inspiration that they can get. And sometimes that goes unsaid. You have no idea um, uh-huh. who is gleaming what. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah it, it's interesting. No, no, it does. It never, it never ceases to amaze me, you know, how that is. Well, Miriam, we're going to take our first break, and then I want to talk a little bit more about things that really touched me about the Zami Nobla community, and we'll be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. 
And we're back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and I'm talking with Marianne Adams, who is the Executive Director of Zami Nobla. And I'm going to tell you, you know, I came down there, but even before then, with Zami, there is this this community. I mean, I had, I, you know, it was like, and I have seen that other people who have come to the Zami site and said, like, I didn't know this was here. I'm so glad I found you. Yeah, and, and you know, and I often when I'm telling people about you know what have you seen and different places, and I talk about coming down there that here was this concentrated great information, but also this sense of caring, uh, of of caring about one another, of talking and sharing information. What what's the magic in your thought? Yeah, I mean, there's something. What is it about that that what, that so many people like? When you find sisters, you find Jamie Nobla. There you go. I'm so glad I found you guys. Even on there was one that um, hmm, Shade Rob book with. It was about Ruth Ellis, and there were people who came. Oh, I'm so glad I found this and have this discussion. And the people who came to the Karen Williams thing. All these people who who found their tribe and Zami Nova. Mm-hmm. What's the secret in your thoughts there, girl? <laughs> um, I, I think the secret in Zami Nova goes back to us being deeply rooted in Atlanta, Georgia. There are activists uh, and organizers and equity folk who really are committed to doing the work. It's been their lifelong work. And a lot of people leave Atlanta, but guess what? They always come back, Michelle, because there's something magical about this place. There's so much great organizing. Some of the best organizing in this country comes from BIPOC queer folk in this city and in this state. That's indisputable. Uh, we're uh-huh. talking about, you know, from taking down the prison industrial complex uh, to, uh, to, to to housing and food equity work. And so, you know, we take everything that we do and learn in community um, and we transfer that to, to Zami Nobla. Uh, one of the things I, I think that is unique about Zami Nobla is we dare to say who we are. You know, uh-huh. we are unapologetic about the fact that we are the national organization of black lesbians on aging. We say that out loud every opportunity that we get. We are unapologetic about the fact that we center black lesbian elders. Um, And we are unapologetic about the fact that we are trying to give voice and visibility to this group of marginalized women and if we don't do it, we don't believe in this point in time that it will be done. And so I think that there is something that is intoxicating to some people about that, particularly people who have not felt safe enough to be themselves, who have not felt safe enough to give voice to their tribe, who have not even known that they could have a tribe, representation is extremely important. And one of the issues that that we've been talking about at Zaminova actually been moaning the fact that as an organization we are 
drastically underfunded, and there are so many initiatives that we need to do to save our lives uh, that we're trying to find funding to do. And one of those initiatives, Michelle, is a voice and visibility project that we want to do. I hear so many young sisters, and when I say young sisters, that's relative. I'm talking anywhere from 16 to 50 who say that I didn't know that black lesbians lived to be 80 and 90 and 100. I've never seen them. I didn't know black lesbians' relationships could last 50 years. I've never seen that. I don't believe that. And, you know, you can't be what you don't see. And if you don't see it represented, you don't believe that it can exist and it can survive and thrive. And so we want to start a project where we do these short videos that we post everywhere we can, Michelle, where I'm, I'm Marianne Adams. I'm 66 years old. I live in Atlanta, Georgia. You know, I'm, I, I, I live at the fence line of social work, public health, and activism. I mean, we need to be able to have those representations of all these fierce sisters such as yourself that we know are, are thriving across this country. People need to see us, Michelle. And unfortunately, right now, they're not seeing us in great numbers. It's not that we don't have the skill set to do it. We just don't have the funding to get that out there. They need to be able to see us. That is vital. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I'll tell you, from coming down, it's like a seed. Because from that conference, I've met a number of people many of them who have been on my show, but most of them, if I'm talking to them about something and they know somebody, they will tell you to where it's, and it's not, you know, and like some of them are in Atlanta, but I've had somebody tell me like, well, you know, this person is in Brooklyn, this person is California. And all of them are like sort of doing like this incredible work, but that willingness to share and that recognition that, there are those who are coming up behind us who need to know that we have been a fabric of this community and continue to be it and that they can, you know, you can do whatever, you know, age, as Aaliyah would say, AJ, nothing but a number. We are doing it. And I think that is just like so, so great. I, you know, that, that sense of community, that sense of coming in. And I've gone to some other cities where, there isn't that. I mean, I was in one city yeah. where a woman was going to do a podcast, and I was saying, you know, well, I know these amazing people. And she said, well, I don't want to talk to anyone over 40. You know, and I'm going <laughs> like, well, why not? You know, well, why not? Well, you know, I'm, I, I'm talking to young lesbians, and they wouldn't be ever going like, well, you know what? You're selling them short. You know, you're selling them short. Yes. You're talking over, over 40. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that because I do think that one of the sustaining isms in our LGBTQIA community is ageism. And because this community traditionally has been such a youth-oriented community and because so many people have not lived a long lifespan that people tend to, again, believe that they can't and don't believe it's possible. Uh, the, the World Health Organization uh, said not too long ago that one of the last isms to go is that of ageism. And, and I certainly see that in this community every single day. 
even among, and it, it, it's very, it, it's understandable because from the time we are born, Michelle, you know, we are indoctrinated, inculcated. The messages are internalized that if you are old, that you are disposable, that old equates to death and disease and dying. You see the commercials on TV, I've fallen and I can't get up. You see people making fun of the pins. You know, you see people, you know, putting old people, you know, in, in rooms and closing the door. Uh, you, you see our country not valuing their elders. So it's understandable that people have not seen positive representations of aging. Here at Zeminobla, we're trying to create a new paradigm around aging. And we have so many older LGBTQ folks who don't want to even have the conversation. And I understand it, but even while I understand it, I don't accept it. We have to have the conversations because there are two things that we all have in common, Michelle. I don't care what else age is, what our ethnicity is, what our race is, what our gender is, what our sexual orientation is, what our sexual identity is, the two things that we all have in common, despite any differences we might have, we are all older today than we were yesterday, and none of us is going to get out of this world alive. Those are two things we have in common, Michelle. And we need to start working from the middle toward those commonalities. We have to start preparing for those two eventualities. And the way we start preparing for that is that we have to start talking about that. We have to start creating new ways of being. We want to turn that. You know, aging can be affirming and empowering because I'm 80 years old does not mean that I can't go outside and ride a bicycle. I can't garden. I can't run. I can't exercise. My mind is not, you know, all of those things are so important. But we have to start having these conversations. And the other thing is that this world is older, Michelle, than it is younger. Thank you. Mm-hmm. We, we we have to get ready for it. And, you know, I've been trying to talk to, like, black gay men, you know, who were elders. It's like you, we got to start preparing for this. And so that's what we're trying to do. And we're taking baby steps, but we are trying to do that every opportunity that we get. Mm-hmm. What are the biggest challenges for black lesbians over 40, you know, I, um, I think, you know, there's so many, but what, what do you think, as you see, what are the biggest challenges? Well, as you know, uh, Zemi Nobly is doing a COVID-19 and black lesbian research project with Dr. Tonya Poteet, who is a black LGBTQ uh, lesbian queer public health researcher uh, who is based um, in the Department of Social Medicine at UNC Chapel Hill, University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. And because we're not a monolith, I don't necessarily like to speak for black lesbians writ large. I do like, however, to let the research speak for us because that is a representation of black lesbians. And even though this, 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 we've done some preliminary analysis of the qualitative data, um, and one of the things we found, as you know, Michelle, that the COVID-19 disparities by race and gender and age and sexual orientation 
it's been documented, but there's just few data that explore communities that are at the intersection of multiple marginalized identities. And so we didn't find any COVID pandemic data from older black lesbians, despite mm. some research out there that's suggesting that we face increased vulnerabilities to the direct consequences of COVID-19, right? Uh, disease and death and indirect effects like um, uh, delays of health care, loneliness, isolation. So when we conducted those 16 focus group discussions um, with a total of, uh, I think it was 102 black uh, lesbians from 40 to uh, 90, 40 to 88 across the, the, the U.S. between July and December 2020, um, we found that, well, actually the, the average age of the participants was 57. And some of the common chronic conditions are were hypertension. Forty one percent of the women reported hypertension, thirty-four reported arthritis, twenty-three reported diabetes, and the pandemic impacts on their well being included delays in health care, worsening mental health, changes in diet and physical activity, and relationship strain. And most of them at that time as of December, had lost someone to COVID-19. But the really interesting thing, Michelle, that I think is that many of those women could not disentangle the pandemic stress from heightened racial tensions in the U.S. And, you know, right. at that time, uh, you know, there was just, you know, we had George Floyd. We had, so, so they couldn't, and, and some women said, I'm not healthy if my community is not healthy. Now, on the positive side, telehealth was largely a positive experience for most of the participants, increasing comfort, especially for mental health services, and social connections and mutual aid, you know, both giving and receiving, kept a lot of these women to cope. Um, and so, you know, the pandemic certainly uh, extravated existing challenges and it highlighted, but it also highlighted opportunities to improve the lives of older black lesbians, particularly once this pandemic crisis ends. To specifically answer your question, we've done three primary research projects to date, all with Dr. Poteet, uh, black lesbians and aging, uh, black sexual minority women and breast cancer, and now the COVID-19. And one of the threads throughout all of that research has been the need for holistic mental health intervention. That, Michelle, I think um, is something that we really need to put more attention to. We need to get more data on. We need to develop more services because these women themselves are saying we need holistic mental health interventions. And what does that look like? It looks like what you and I talked about earlier, intergenerational connections. It looks like stable, accessible, affordable housing. It looks like uh, quality relationships. It looks like laughter. It looks like dance. It looks like sex. It looks like all of those things. Um, and I know that it's important for us to keep to keep collecting the data because before you can get the funding to develop the program and the intervention, you have to at least have some baseline data. Starting this month, no, September, well, tomorrow is September, 
mid to late September, we're going to be rolling out the quantitative component of this COVID-19 research. Uh, and this time, we're going to focus on women 50 and older. Um, we're going to be rolling out a, semi, uh, uh, a seven minutes of survey online. It's going to take about uh, 20 minutes. We're going to incentivize women $50. We're going to be recruiting black lesbians, white lesbians, and lesbians of color. Uh, because the question is, are white lesbians doing better during COVID? We don't know. We don't have the data. Are lesbians of color doing better than black lesbians? We don't know. We don't have the data. So we're going to uh, try to recruit at least 300 um, lesbians for this quantitative component. Uh, we're also going to be taking a subset of the women that we interviewed for the focus group, 20 of them, and we're going to do some more in-depth, semi-structured interviews. And when we're done, Michelle, we will have the uh, qualitative the focus group data, the semi-structured interviews, and we will also have the 300 uh, lesbians. So that's a pretty large sample uh, for us to be able to get some robust findings uh, from these women themselves in terms of how COVID has impacted them. And it's important to hear from us. You know, people don't have to guess. Well, how did, we're telling you how we fare. And so this is really important data. It's seminal data. Uh, and I'm excited. I'm actually excited uh, to hear from these women themselves. You know, because you, you touched on some things that really, like, came close to home to me because I know that in 2019 to 2020, you know, I was working out in the world and doing like, like things. And I know I had one client who I was doing a lot with, but where it was, what was happening in the world, like, you know, how even though when I walked in knowing that I was the black woman in this place that was predominantly white, I said, sure, we're all white. I take that back. There were few women. But I knew that there were conversations that stopped when I walked in the room, okay? And and it was mm-hmm. along with the whole political thing. I also knew that, you know, there were conversations that stopped because I was openly gay. And then as it went into 2020, going towards the election, there were times, I mean, I, in fact, I had wrote a thing how once I passed this place going in to visit this client, and they had all these little American flags. And, I mean, I had a moment because seeing all these American flags said to me, in my mind, you know, they don't mm-hmm. like me. You know, they don't like me. They want Trump flags, but they hadn't been all these American flags. And then as the, as the election, he said, there were all these little American flags lined up to where it was like that was at this level of stress that was building up to where finally I said, you know, I just can't do this anymore. Uh, and so I just walked away from it. And then, knock on wood, I was able to refocus on other things, start to do things online and everything. But I thought, you know, what if I couldn't? What if I was forced to stay there? There was a physical stress, you know, I knew my blood pressure was up, how I was feeling that way. or if I had left that, and what if I couldn't find other income? I mean, we see people who are losing their homes, who are getting eviction, you know, aren't able to buy food. I mean, I was fortunate, but I thought about my sisters and brothers, 
not only who were black, but particularly who were a member of the LGBTQ plus community, who were feeling that same thing and didn't have those resources. And that, and the more that COVID came around, and they were talking like, well, you know, you know, they didn't care if we died. You know, they didn't care. Mm-hmm. It just sort of added to that whole sense of anxiety and stress. But like I said, I knew I could pivot and do something else. But I think of my sisters, particularly my sisters. And, you know, as we get older, you know, I've had people say, you know, I have to, I, I can't go out there with all this gray in my hair. I can't find a job. Or who can't find a job, who lost that job. That stressing thing is there, and particularly for our community, but no one, like you said, that data isn't there, that those stories aren't there to talk about that. Absolutely. Um, so what you're saying, Michelle, is so true and so spot on. Um, we have, right before COVID hit, uh, in 2019, mid to mid months to the last months of 2019, we had established the Crystal Cousin Advocacy Collective, and it's a project named for Black lesbian activist and elder Crystal Cousin. She was a longtime resident of Atlanta who died in 2018 at the age of 95, and, and Chris was just an amazing, an amazing activist and advocate. So we really wanted to honor her. Um, and, and, and say her name as often as we could and as often as we can. And so this this Crystal Cousin Advocacy Collective was developed by Zami Nobler to connect ethically diverse groups of lesbians, uh, 40 and older, you know, living anywhere, particularly here in Atlanta, who wanted to discuss, learn, lobby, and advocate for quality of life issues that impact aging lesbians and, and really aging LGBTQ folk generally writ large. Uh, we would meet monthly. We got a grant, um, and we would buy food. And one of the things that I noticed, you know, the social worker in me, was that these women uh, seemed to really be eating a great deal, and they would take food with them. And so I thought to myself, some of them are probably not getting enough to eat. And these were black lesbians and white lesbians, um, and the average age of the women who were coming uh, was probably 65, because we had women there in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and some of these women lived out in, 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 in parts of Georgia where there was no access to transportation. And so we had a member who was an Uber driver, so we would pay her to go and pick these women up so they could participate because it was important. We needed their expertise and their energy, and it also allowed them to – uh, be able to be in community with their sisters. And we had people who were coming to inform us about the issues so we would have uh, speakers because we wanted to learn about the issues so that we could intelligently and, and knowledgeably uh, advocate and lobby. And so one of the things that I think is missing, uh, Michelle, that would help improve the quality of life issues that impact us is our voices need to be at the county level, at the state level, and at the federal level. When people are coming in to testify and to speak, they need to see us, Michelle. When there's any any kind of testimony about aging issues, 
We need to be front and center. We need to continue to if, if you're sitting at home and you can if you got a pen and a paper, we can write letters to our elected officials. Those people work for us. They're there to represent our interests. I think we have to start learning that some of us abdicate our voices, I believe, uh, and our power. Um, and so for me, of all the things we're doing, I feel very strongly about the advocacy piece. Absolutely. I think it's imperative to – it's a life and death issue for me. Yeah. It's a life mm-hmm. and death issue. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Um, we, in 2019, along with um, two organizations here in Atlanta, um, Transforming, which is a black trans men and non-binary organization, they provide programs and services to trans families and trans housing Atlanta. They provide housing resources to uh, trans people at large. And uh, as you know, Zami Nobler is renovating a house for black lesbian elders, and we're trying to provide more housing resources. Uh, we were all doing the same thing. We were marginal organizations uh, located geographically in the same city um, with a very common agenda. And so we started meeting so that we could leverage our resources, so that we could support each other, and so that we could really have a voice and say in housing equity. Uh, most people, it's called MALTA, the Metro Atlanta Lesbian and Trans Housing Alliance. Most people are surprised that a lesbian organization and two trans organizations are working together. But not only are we working together, we're working together very well. Uh, we really want to be an example, a model of how organizations that people think are so different and that don't get along can come together. Um, with common goals and a common objectives and agenda uh, and get this work done. Uh, we are, we just submitted uh, our, an application for our first grant. We're waiting to hear from that. Um, they want to come together with Zami Nobla and do uh, start to grow food because we all understand that that's our life source. Um, and we want to start doing uh, advocacy workshops around this issue. So look out for Malta. You will be certainly hearing more from us. That's exciting. That's exciting. Um, we're going to take our second break. And I, I have talked about my favorite, one of my favorite tactics, which is the Bigger's House, and how we support Zami Nobla. So we'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode.
And we're back here on Collections by Michelle Brown. I fell in love with the Biggers house. I mean, just the whole ideal about it, uh, the backyard, the gardening. I mean, it was like, it was just like, when you took me by there, it was, I, could, I could see it. I could see it coming alive. You were still working on it, but I could see it coming alive. I could see life in there. I could see people in that. Can you tell us about the Biggers Project, the Biggers House Project, and where it is now? Yes. Because you haven't found a family yet. I mean, you haven't found residents. <laughs> so just to give your audience some context, uh, since 2017, with the community's financial assistance and physical labor, Zebby Nobley has been renovating the Biggers House in Northwest Atlanta. Uh, and our goal is to provide permanent, accessible, affordable housing to one to two black lesbian elders, 55 and older, living on fixed incomes. Now, on the land, we're also planting and harvesting five community gardens for the upcoming residents, Zami Noblin members, the LGBTQ community writ large, and the Westlake neighborhood where the house is located. Um, we have been privileged to get access to this house from one of our board members who is leasing this house to us for a nominal amount for 35 years. And um, I could flip a house now, Michelle, because we have done so much work on this house. And as I mentioned before, uh, this house is called the Biggers House after our board member, but it really should be called the People's House because every penny that we put into this house has come from social media, from Facebook uh, primarily, uh, and just people loving on us and, and really believing in this project and believing that every human being should have decent, safe, affordable housing. Uh, we have some of the things that we've done to this house. We have um, externally, we've ripped off the awnings, we painted the house, we put up shutters. Uh, inside the house, we have put in insulation. We have uh, ripped up the carpet and 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 uh, beautiful hardwood floors were underneath. We've repaired those and shined those up. Um, we have put in a new kitchen floor. We're putting in new countertops, new cabinets. We have uh, painted. In, inside, we put in a new hot water heater. Um, we have put in a new plumbing. Uh, we have uh, updated all the electrical. Um, we have um, built a railing uh, going down to the stairs. We've uh, taken up the garage. I mean, the driveway because it was barely. Mm-hmm. It was barely um, drivable. We put down a brand-new driveway that is absolutely gorgeous. Um, we have also put in a six-foot wood fence, Michelle. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Around the entire property, yes. Wow. I mean, because it had a huge <laughs> yard. 
<laughs> yes, wow. Michelle, we have we got a grant and we put in a six foot. If you have to see it, it's absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, we are almost done. What because of the supply chain issues with COVID, uh, and because materials have increased tenfold, uh, it's been very difficult to maintain contracting services. Uh, we still have to put the ramp in. We're, we, we have the funds to do that, but we are trying to find contract labor to get that done. Uh, we also, Michelle, uh, were having issues with the windows. The house is 70 years old. The windows are 70 years old. They are very thin panes. They are not energy efficient. They, we could not open any of them. So we just ordered 14 new windows. were pretty costly. But we were able to raise the money during give out day. And it's taken 12 weeks for these windows to come back. Um, so we want to make sure. And the ones that are in there, you know, like how they have those little panes. Is it going to be a They're totally going to be different. Yeah, the little panes, uh, they were more expensive. So we're going to be getting windows now that have the full panes. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, also outside, um, there was, water would sit when it was raining. So we had to bring in some concrete um, recently to build that up. And so we've done that. Um, gosh, I mean, we put in uh, new doors. Um, you know, we've we've done a lot, um, but we're we're almost done. I mean, we can smell it. We're just waiting for those windows, and if we can get mm-hmm. the ramp done, we're gonna have to buy a new refrigerator. Uh, we have an organization here in Atlanta of Black lesbians. They have a membership of about sixty of them. They are older. They're probably forty plus. Call Leah. Uh, ladies in Atlanta, it's a travel club, and they've raised money. They bought Danny Noble a brand-new microwave, and they also have raised money for us to buy a brand-new stackable washer and dryer. Wow. Just amazing. I mean, this community, Michelle, I, I, I really, I mean, I may complain about Atlanta, but these, these sisters and brothers in Atlanta are just absolutely amazing when it comes to coming together. We're like brothers and sisters. We might squabble, mm-hmm. but when push comes to shove, we're there for each other. There's just no if, ands, or buts about that. I mean, it, it really, I mean, and that, and that's like, it's a, I mean, it was like such a impactful weekend for me because that's what I saw. You know, yes. like we were, we were leaving um, the arts exchange and out in the parking lot, it was like people who was like, hey, you know, it was like, family coming together yeah. and then we went to the bigger's house and you were telling me all the work that the people had done and, and you could see it. I mean, you have, I know on your site, you have like the before and after pictures. I'm curious about, I kind of like the way that the windows look, but I know that it's going to look good because you're, you're, you're behind it. But from what that house looked like to where, you know, removing the, the awnings and, and the color and everything, it was like, wow. I mean, like I said, you could see it coming alive. You saw yes, the garden yes. in the back? In the backyard? I'm sorry? You yes. saw the gardens in the backyard? Mm. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. As you know, we got started because of an internship with the, with graduate students in the School of Social Work at Georgia State University. And we have the two raised beds. 
that they raised uh, money for, and they ordered those from Portland, Oregon. And the great thing about the raised beds is they are designed to last for 35 years based on the materials, um, and they have ledges on them so that if someone has the physical mobility who's living in the house, they can sit on the ledge and still guard. So there was a lot of intentionality that went into that. Uh, we had in-ground gardens. We had five, but what we also had another raised bed built with wheels on it, Michelle, so that before we start planting, we can kind of assess where the sun is, and then we can roll that raised bed, those raised beds over to those locations in the backyard. So it's important for us to be able to get a, a tenant who is community-minded because we're going to enter into a covenant with this person, or these two people, and we want to make sure that if they have no interest in gardening, that we can at least have access to the backyard because we need to continue to plant and harvest these community gardens. Um, we understand how vital that is. Um, we also, I want to just say quickly that uh, there is a black gay firefighter who was on Jamie Noble's advisory board, Andre Holmes, who was really responsible for us getting a grant from the Firefighters Foundation of Atlanta to build the ramp. And these men said, we don't only want to give you all this grant, but we also want to put in sweat equity. So they came out during our volunteer oh. planting day. They put on those Zammy, those big, you know, hunk of men, put on those Zammy Nobla National Organization of Black Lesbians on the Asian T-shirts, and they worked really hard and really appreciate that. There's also another, a young black lesbian who's now 40, who's over the Minority Veterans of America, and Keisha Ballard and her group come, they come out. Anytime we need them, they are there to help us. And so I could go on and on. Um, the, the, we we got a, a, an amazing grant from the from the Homestead Foundation here in Atlanta uh, to help us do this major work, and uh, I have uh, two friends, a white lesbian couple I've known for forever, uh, Rund and Sarah, who has given us large sums of money to do the work uh, in this house. So that's why I say this community and and the community all over this country. Uh, are really the funders behind this house. Uh, there's no way that we could ever thank them. There's no way that we could have done this without all of them. It just would not have happened. I mean, it's just it's just phenomenal. I mean, like I said, it is so inspiring. I remember us being in the backyard and you reaching down and finding those little cherry tomatoes and giving them one, and it was so sweet and so delicious. <laughs> it was just, I, uh, I, you know, no, I mean, you know, you're lucky I didn't pack up my bag and, and come down there with a U-Haul and say, I'm staying. <laughs> I had such an amazing weekend. And I often tell people, you got to go down there and see that. You know, and, and I'm hoping that the time comes when you can have another conference like that. Now, you've got some other programs. Another program that you do that I love, the ukulele program, because I had never played a ukulele, and I got to play a ukulele and sing. With, with Angela, are you, is she still doing the ukulele program? Well, of course. So thank you for giving <laughs> me the opportunity to talk about that. Um, so this is what, 2020. So 2020, well, so, so during the summer of 2019, uh, 
So Jamie Noble developed this weekly ukulele June Jam uh, uh-huh. at our office in East Point at the Arts Exchange. And Angela Denise Davis, our creative director, was the genius behind developing this ukulele program. And so out of that offering grew our Ukulele Griot Collective, which is a multiracial, multigenerational group of queer women who practiced and played music weekly with the goal of playing for humanitarian but the benefits and aging facilities. And so Angela directed that ensemble. Uh, fast forward, we wrote a grant to Columbia University, and we received that grant to develop a program called Remember and Reimagine. And the this program is so it, it makes it possible for us to, to really amplify our ukulele community music education program by redesigning the curriculum to teach African American spirituals and to create an ensemble of, of ukulele musicians to perform Angela's arrangements of these works. Mm-hmm. Now this is seminal work. It has never been done anywhere in the country, never been done anywhere. Uh, in the nation where African-Americans' spirituals have been rearranged for the ukulele and for the ensemble. has never, ever been done before. Um, and Angela has taken, for the last nine months, she's been teaching these women online. Uh, these are women who've never played the ukulele before. They are black and white women. They are probably, the average age is probably 65. These women live in... Portland, Oregon. They live in San Francisco. They live in Oakland. They live in Florida. They live in Alabama, uh, Seattle. They live all over the country. And they're going to, I think there are 10 of them. And so in November, we're going to premiere Remember and Reimagine on Zoom. So we're going to invite everybody far and wide to come on and listen to the re- Remember and reimagine ukulele ensemble uh, who will be performing Angela Denise Davis arrangements of these works. Wow. Well, she is, <laughs> I'll tell you, I mean, I can see this. I'll tell you, I, I mean, this is just like memory upon memory. But she said, you can play. And I'm like, I can't play. I don't know. And we had the best time, and I seen something, and they said, "They said anybody can play that instrument. Anybody can. I played it, but but the joy that I got from it and from her. I mean, I can just imagine her putting these together, and people who love this music, and then them performing together. You know, I'm marking my calendar now. I mean." <laughs> Again, again, it was. I came back saying, "I played, I played ukulele." You know, and they're like, "Okay, you, know, you play." Well, I didn't play, play, but I played. Yeah, and it was, it was just like there was something beautiful about that, and something wonderful. It's a great instrument. Um, I've talked to people about it since. It, I was, oh, you should go and see it. And that she, she also gives you an education about it. That it isn't just you know like. You know what, Don Hole playing Tiny Bubbles on a little thing. I mean, all the different sizes and shapes and tones of it. I mean, it was just like very. It made it makes you feel full. So I can just imagine how that program is going. I'm looking forward to that. The other thing that you uh, do is yes. the book club. 
Yeah, yes, know, yes, yes. Uh, okay, yeah, so know. we have, yes, okay. so we have the, the Noble Book Club. Um, it's a book club that is located um, on Facebook. It's open to any woman over the age of 18. Uh, we meet twice monthly via Zoom to discuss works that primarily center black women writers. Uh, since March, we've been discussing Sister Outsider by Audre Lorde. We decided to take each essay and deconstruct it and give it the attention it deserves. And we will be discussing those essays until November. Um, and women can find that if they go to our website, www.zaminoba.org. Um, they can register for that book club. Um, I want to say, Michelle, that um, we know that, again, you know, community is what feeds us, what drives us, what supports us. And so we want to make sure that the community is a part of everything that we do and the community bears witness of what we do. And so when we talk about the Biggers House, we're going to be having open house uh, when we finish, and we're going to be having open house via Zoom so that all of these people who are not centered in Atlanta can go through each room. They can feel our joy and our excitement, our exquisite joy at being able to finish this house, being able to provide housing. You know, people say, is this going to be uh, transitional housing? And we're saying no because where are these women going to transition to? Uh, it's mm -hmm. going to be permanent housing. Uh, and we're hoping that once we're done that we might have opportunities to secure other housing. Uh, but right now uh, we know that I don't believe there's any other uh, house in the country specifically focused on black lesbians. I know there's housing for LGBTQ, but I don't think there's anything just specifically for black lesbian elders. And so we want to make sure that people also are able to participate in what they have helped us create. The same thing with the ukulele, which is why we're having that uh, recital, if you will, on Zoom. Um, and some of these women have never met each other. I mean, Angela has not met most of these women because, again, uh, she's been teaching this for the last nine, these women for the last nine months on Zoom. So we're hoping that we can get some kind of funding when COVID is over and we can bring these women together to play here in Atlanta. Um, because, you know, I mean, Angela's work with the ukulele is focused within the domain of African-American classical and folk music tradition. And a lot of people don't know that there were black women, play, folk musicians who played the ukulele um, and who a lot of people have fashioned their work around because those women, again, are invisible from the canon. And so we want to make sure, Michelle, that as black lesbians, we leave a footprint that 20, 50, 60 years ago with your program, that people will know that you were here, we were here, and you know what, Michelle? We were seizing power and doing things and making a difference. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, it, and it's, that's one of the things, even though, you know, one of the, the, the upsides of the pandemic is that more people are drawn to these kind of things like online. Yes. They can, because why not a bigger's house yes. in Detroit? Why not a yes. bigger's house? In, 
and Chicago and L.A. You know, the whole idea, on a, you have to see the possibility. And if you see it, you'll say, why not? You know, yeah, there might be a, 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 a apartment building that's going up for all LGBTQ community. But you know what? Sometimes it's nice. Imagine being someplace with your sisters, you know, where you can yes. come get, you know, that's why that is so important about this. And, and, and that's really true, Michelle. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And let yeah. me just say, in addition to that, we have documented what we've done each step along the way, and we are more than happy to be able to offer technical assistance to sisters who want to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, but you're right. There's no reason why. And, you know, I mean, certainly, you know, we're novice, but we can certainly share what we've done if it would be helpful. We would love to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Zami Nobla is based in Atlanta, but there's a couple of chapters. There could be more, um, <laughs> but you know, just, and you know, and really we're playing, you know, virtual reality, all these things that we have now, it's okay. I mean, you know, you can do it in your city, your way, the way that you would do it in, you know, Minneapolis would be different than the way that you do it in Atlanta, but there's also, Zami Nobler, like you said, you know, you documented how you did it, and there's strength in numbers. It's not something nice that if I'm if I'm in Alaska to know that I'm part of Zami yes. Nobler, where here are my sisters. The support for Zami Nobler comes from its memberships, comes from donations. Um, you don't have to live in Atlanta; you can do it wherever. And if you want to develop your state into a chapter that can happen too. Yes. Can you talk about membership? Um yes. how to develop a state chapter and how to make those important donations. Yes. Uh thank you for the opportunity to do that. Uh as you mentioned, we have a chapter in rural North Carolina, in Leland, North Carolina. Uh we have a chapter in the Bay Area. Um, and we are certainly desirous of establishing more chapters. We do have a membership of sisters from around the country. Our membership currently is open to um, black lesbians 40 and older living anywhere in the country. Membership is $50 a year, and uh, you, you you get access to some special Zami Noble offerings because membership does have its privileges. Um, we <laughs> we have a newsletter that goes out to our members, and we try and offer resources. Um, and um, in order to start a chapter, um, you need three lesbians. And as you mentioned, each city, each state, each town is unique. We do have some basic guidelines for membership. Uh, our board of directors has recently is recently revamping our bylaws so that we can also offer organizational and ally membership because we've had a lot of requests for that and so we need to make sure that that happens sooner than later and so um, our 
10th anniversary is actually October 11th of this year. Because of COVID, we are going to um, delay that celebration until next year. Also, because of COVID, we do, we have the Audre Lord Scholarship Fund, and in 2020, we gave our largest scholarship of $3,000 uh, to a black lesbian over the age of 40, but uh, because of COVID, we're not offering the scholarship this year, but we will resume the Audre Lord Scholarship Fund next year. Um, and so we realize that, you know, we because of our capacity, uh, we can't continue to do those two things that we really want to make sure that we do them and we do them well. We spent a lot of energy last year doing the Black Lesbian Film Festival, and it was a, a huge success. Um, and it was our first one, and we're just really honoring the life of Audre Lorde, and we're really happy that we were able to do that. But... Um, so we do – oh, let me just mention our online presence. Uh, we have mm -hmm. a huge online presence. We have a Facebook group. It's a private Facebook group that has about 1,500 lesbians from around the country, black lesbians from around the country. Uh, we also have about 20 lesbians in that group who live in Brazil. Uh, we have a couple who live in Germany, Korea. So it's, it's, it has an international reach. We also have, as I mentioned before, the Zaman Noble Book Club that you can find. It's a, it's a book club that's open to any, any woman over the age of 18. Um, you don't have to be black. Any race, ethnicity can join that book club. We also have an events and outing group. Um, there are about 300-plus women in that book club group. We have an events and outing group um, that has almost maybe 200 women, and it's open to any woman, uh, any queer woman, 18 and older, can join that group. We also have a financial education group uh, on Facebook. Any, any woman can join that group. We also have the uh, Purple Thumb Gardening Group that I mentioned before. It's open to any woman. Uh, doesn't matter what her orientation is, her identity, her race. Uh, she just has to have an interest in gardening or wanting to learn about gardening. I just want to look at flowers. Uh, so we're happy to offer that. Uh, we also have uh, a Facebook uh, page uh, where we probably have about mm, 3,000, 4,000 followers, and that's open to anybody. We also have a couple of research uh, groups. We have the breast cancer, uh, black lesbians and breast cancer and black lesbians and COVID uh, Facebook pages as well. So people can really find us. We also have an Instagram uh, account. And we have Twitter. We don't do much on Twitter, but we do have a Twitter account. So, uh, you know, people can easily find us. We're also always looking for volunteers because we have more work than labor. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're always happy to, to talk to anybody about the work that we do. Um, so, and you can certainly donate to our work. You had mentioned earlier that our funding, our support comes from individual memberships. It comes from donations, and uh, it comes from grants. We are certainly significantly underfunded. We're able to do as many programs as we do because we have the skill set, and there's an urgency because there's a need. Uh, but like any uh, organization, we're continuing to build our capacity and our organizational development. And so, uh, you know, we, 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 we are always in need of funding for sure. 
uh, we have a couple of projects that we really want to roll out to impact social isolation, but we just don't have the funds right now to do that. Uh, but, yeah, we just try to do what we can, however we can, with the help of our community. Okay, and can uh, um, is it if does, <laughs> can they make a donation and like say if someone said oh I like the idea of those community gardens, um I want to um, support uh, the bigger's house. Can they can someone earmark it or does it go to a general fund? No, they can always absolutely earmark any donation they make for us. Mm-hmm. Um, they can just put that in the memo section for sure. Uh, there are mm-hmm. two ways that there are three ways that donations can be made to us. We actually have a um, uh, a website that where a financial arm called Mighty Cause. Uh, we also you can make donations to PayPal. You can also send us a paper check. Uh, and our P.O. box, that address is on the website, which, again, is www.zeminova.org. Um, and uh, we are always happy to specifically use the funding however the donor wants the funding to be utilized. Uh, that is absolutely not a – we are all a 501c3 tax-exempt organization. Uh, and when you make the donation, you will immediately get a receipt. Uh, for your records um, from Mighty Cause and from PayPal, we will send you the receipt because PayPal doesn't have it. It'll give you a receipt, but it doesn't have a tax ID number on there. But we're happy to do that. That is absolutely not a problem. Okay, that's wonderful. Well, Marianne, I can't wait to get back down there. <laughs> well, we cannot wait for you to come back down here. Uh, you know, there's so much. I, I think the future is bright. Um, we have been able to connect to so many people because of COVID, particularly with our research. Um, because like you said, Michelle, people now have the time, and there are women who are joining who say, we, we, we knew about you, but we just never had the time to just sit and just get things done. And so we really, really appreciate being able to connect uh, with not just our sisters, but can I also tell you about one other thing before we go? You sure can. All right. Zemi Noble is a community member with uh, the Black Caregivers and Dementia Project. Dr. Faye Epps, who is a professor in nursing at Emory University, is the principal investigator on this project. And um, there are uh, there are two organizations in North Carolina: the Prince, the, the Masons, and another group, and then Zaminobla, and then a Sage, which is a group here in Atlanta. We are the community partners, and what we're trying to do, Michelle, particularly, is reaching out to Black caregivers, the people living with dementia, and caregivers is loosely defined. I mean, you can be a remote caregiver. Maybe you're living in D.C. and your, 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 your loved one is living in Chicago, but you're helping care for them. Maybe you're doing their finances or you ch- whatever the case may be. And so we have this course online. You take it at your own pace. We're incentivizing people for taking the course. And, and a central part of this is, is, is caregiving for the caregiver. We want people to really 
learn how to take care of themselves during this process and also to learn more about dementia. Uh, you know, it's a huge problem in our community, one that traditionally we have not been able to really talk about. We haven't had much research about and so we're really trying to do something uh, about that with this particular project that we're working on uh, with uh, Emory University. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that's important. You know, that's just really important. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, when I was talking about I was doing these grants, and there was a woman who did one, and she wrote, and she said that you can't, she was talking about, you know, healing and taking care of yourself, because she said you can't pour from an empty cup. That's correct. And that is so true. And often, you know, when you think about it, you know, if our community isn't full, we can't pour and help others. If we're not taking care of ourselves, we can't take care of others. And it's just like that is so important because I know so many caregivers who run themselves from the ground not recognizing, take a minute, take a minute. Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. That you are so right. Uh, October we're going to have our annual uh breast cancer, Joan Gunner Breast Cancer Institute. We're gonna partner with PrideNet out at Stanford. We're gonna do it online. Um okay. and so we're looking for if you know black, lesbian, breast cancer survivors, uh, please let me know because we really want to get a panel of black lesbian breast cancer survivors for this mm -hmm. institute that we're going to do on Zoom. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, and, and we do survive. You know, people not only yes. survive, but survive. And, and that's yes. something else that you have to because, you know, uh, it can be a a devastating diagnosis and you need, you're going to need your caregivers. You're going to need your community, you know? Wow. Absolutely. And we need to talk about it. Mm-hmm. We need mm -hmm. to talk about it. Some of us, is, you know, because of the shame and the stigma and the silence. You know, I was diagnosed in 2006, Michelle, and what, 2021, and, and here I am. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah like I said, we're living longer. We're, we're thriving. We're thriving, we're surviving, you know. Yes. We're going to make it COVID, you know. We've made it through, through HIV and AIDS. I was talking to someone yesterday. We've made it through that. We are going to to do that. Marianne, thank you for all you do, for your time, but for the memories you've given me. <laughs> yeah. You don't know how often I talk about that weekend because it was it was just, it was something at that point in time that really meant a lot to me. And I thank you, Angela, and my very sweet little Cassie. <laughs> thank you for reaching out. Thank you for wanting the update. Thank you for always being a source of support, always in every way imaginable. Thank you. Thank you for all that you do to make sure that we are, uh, as I say, remembered, known, and uh, enshrined 50 years from now. All right. Okay. Well, look, I will talk to you soon. My best to okay. the Zaminobla Atlanta family. 
Yes, ma'am. I want to thank my guest, the founder and executive director of Zami Nobla, Mary Ann Adams. Deeply rooted in Atlanta, Georgia, with a national reach, Zami Nobla, the National Organization of Black Lesbians on Aging, is a membership-based organization committed to building a base of power for Black lesbians over the age of 40 living anywhere in the country. It centers service, advocacy, and community action research. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.